you know, there's so many good practical lessons along with the great doctrinal lessons in the book of Proverbs. But last week, I think no matter, as I said, what level we're on um, in our spiritual growth, there was something for all of us there. And I, 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 that's one of the things I really appreciate about the book of Proverbs. You know, getting to the place where you overcome the fears in your life. You know, fear, we talked about it last week, fear is the thing that, you know, fearing things that really can't hurt you. But the devil uses those things because of our ignorance and our not ability to trust in the Word of God and the principles to, to hinder us. You know, I, I've heard it said all my life that danger, uh, danger is, is real. There are some things in life that are really dangerous. Danger is a reality of life, but fear is always a choice in life. And, uh, you know, you want to respect the danger, but you realize that fear is what we allow into our lives. And in a Christian's life, it has no place for those of us who really believe and love the Lord. We talked about having confidence in God last time. Uh, the number one thing I think that befalls so many of God's people that they just, they don't, ha they lack that confidence in their own life. Uh, and that confidence only comes from, like we've been talking about, the investment of the Word of God in your life. You know, giving us the understanding and the wisdom and the discretion that we've talking about, and really the ability to see circumstances in your life as they really are, not as they appear. Fear many times and our lack of confidence will take a scenario and uh, make it much worse than it is or make it, uh, when it is really bad, make it uh, menial where you don't think it really is. And the ability to be able to take all those parts, all those components of any issue, be able to break them down and look at them and understand them. And then through that, the Word of God, see the snares and the pitfalls that the devil has laid for you. you know, the ability to walk and navigate through a world of darkness with the light of, of God's Word. And that's really what we, we focused on last week. And today, you know, we'll, we'll look at another great practical uh, concept. And we'll look at verses 27 through 30. And as you remember, this will be our 11th set of paragraph marks. It says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thy hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give thee when thou hast it by thee. Devise not evil against thy neighbor, seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. Now, Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, and we do love you. We pray, Father, today that you'll help us take this great set of verses and glean out of it the principles for life that will help us be better uh, for you. We love you today, and we thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for the folks that have made their way out today. And, Lord, we thank you now and praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, we've been talking about making good investments. That's really been the overall theme of, of what we've been looking at the last four or five weeks. We talked about in Luke chapter 19, the great example in that story, how that the Lord gave three men an equal pound. Each man got a pound. And they were to take that pound, and the Lord went back and went away. And when he came back, he wanted to see what they had done with it. And we made that analogy how that that's exactly what God has done with us. He's all given us the same abilities. He's always given us the same grace. He's always given us the same uh, uh, salvation. We all have everything that anybody else has that we got from God. But it's the investment that we make with it. Some people make no investments. Some people make some investments. Some people make major investments. 
And we've been talking about not only making an investment, but bringing back a return for the Lord. That's in Luke chapter 19 what the whole story was about. When the Lord came back, the one guy had, that had a pound, he brought back 10 pounds. He made a return for the Lord. Now, we're not obviously talking about monetary things here, uh, even though it's the, that's the example it is using. We're talking about in a spiritual sense. When God saves you, God put in you the power of God through the Holy Spirit of God. He expects us to do something with that. And a man who, or a woman who invests their life in the Word of God, and, and we're going to look at an example of that today, uh, he'll bring a good return for the Lord. In other words, you'll do something with what God gave you, and the reason he gave it to you was so you would do something with it. And today we'll see another great example of that. Now, verse 27 is where we're going to start here. And really, even though it's found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, it sets up a great Christian New Testament principle for all of us in our investment with people. And I think this practical approach of this verse probably, uh, as I was a young guy figuring out the ministry and figuring out the things, I think this principle probably helped me more uh, than any other principle as far as people in the ministry. Uh, because you've heard me say it many, many times, the ministry is people. And he says in verse 27, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Now, this, this is not by design, uh, but if you ever wanted to have a really good Christmas message, this would be the verse right here. And uh, because Christmas is about, is about giving. And this would make a great Christmas message. So knowing that today, I want you to also know that I'm going to work very hard at keeping this from being a Christmas message. <laughs> because that's what happens, you see. And uh, at Christmas, everybody's in a giving mood. At Christmas, uh, everybody wants to, you know, to do something to soothe their conscience because they haven't done anything. And, uh, and that's all good. I'm not fighting it. But you and I both know that real Bible-based Christianity is responding to needs all year long. It's not just at a time of year that we want to soothe our conscience, you know, and, and forget about it the, the rest of the year. And so I want you to make sure that even though this fits into the theme of Christmas today, uh, I'm taking it one step beyond that. And you've heard me say this many, many times that, as I've said, the ministry is people. People need to be uh, the lifeblood of this church. And it, and it always has been since when we started. We started out very small, and God has blessed us and given us a, a great host of people. And, and uh, you know, it's all because other people have cared about other people. And I've watched situations over the years where you've, you've stepped up and done things for each other, and, and it's, a, it's in a tremendous, tremendous uh, quality to have. And, I, and I, you know, it's a great thing for me to see as your pastor seeing you do that. People need to be our lives. We take them where we find them, and we help them get uh, to where they need to be. Now, I say all that, and you're aware of this too. This is no new revelation to you. You know, it's a thing where you can't help everybody. I mean, you can't help everybody. I wish you could. In a perfect world, it'd be a great thing. Thank you, Phil. But you can't help everybody. You just simply can't. Some, uh, uh, you know, when people come to this church, they, they, some, some stay and some don't. Some come in and they don't like it. Some come in and say, I've been looking for this all my life. You know, people come and people go. It's just the nature of it. You know, I, I think the, I think the, the, probably the hardest thing, and we all have feelings and we all have emotions about things, 
but I can't imagine what it would be like to be a professional baseball player or for a professional football player. I mean, those guys get on a team, they give it everything, they work out all day long, they fight out there in the field, they're loyal to da 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 And if somebody comes along, in baseball especially, somebody comes along that the, the team owner thinks is going to be better for their team than you, you get traded someplace. They don't come in and say, well, you've done a really good job, but we're going to trade you. They just trade you. You find out about it in the newspapers probably many times. And football players are the same way. You can give it your all and you can, you can just be absolutely committed to the team. And yet at the end of the season, if they get a new coach or they decide to go another way and they want to bring somebody else, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're gone. And, that, and that's, you know, I would think that that's got to, that's got to, uh, to bother these guys to some degree. And it, it just, but they all say it. They all say the same thing. It's the nature of the business because they're there to win games. And, you know, people come and people go. People love it. People don't love it. it. But the bottom line at the end of the day, it's the nature of the ministry. You're not going to be able to help everybody. Uh, you, you all know that you cannot help people who are not willing to help themselves. They have to start wanting to do what they need to do. But, you know, our job is to meet their needs on the level of where they're at. And it's crucial for us who have people in our lives who really want to make a difference in their life that we're there for them when they have that need. You know, I've always looked at the ministry and people uh, in, a, in a threefold concept. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've always looked at it this way. And the first thing we have to do in our lives is we have to make a decision. And that decision is, I'm going to help people. Life is about choices. You recognize what God has done for you. You recognize that you need to give something back and you make the decision to help people. And then the second thing is that God gives you a desire and that desire God takes and develops into a burden. And the burden God gives you for other people. And then once you get that, you got to have a good dose of determination. And that is the grace that God gives you uh, to help people. It isn't, isn't about, well, I'm going to decide I'm going to work with people and help people. That's an easy thing to say. But boy, I'll tell you what, trying to help people without a burden for people, you'll, you'll lose your interest very well, quick. Because people won't always turn out the way you want them to. And you get discouraged. You see, it's a burden. It's a burden that you have for people that keeps you, uh, and because you realize that you're not doing it for them, even though you are, you're doing it because God did it for you. And that gives you the determination to help people. I think the greatest example of that is a, is a man who lived back in the uh, 1800s. In fact, he died in 1912. And his name was, was General William Booth. And most people know him today as the founder of the Salvation Army. And the Salvation Army uh, back then was a great organization. He was an evangelist and he was a preacher. And he started in England. And he was born in 1829, so he fits right into that Philadelphian church age. And, you know, you, when you look at his life and you see, uh, you know, at some point in his life, he made a decision to help people. And then at some point in his life, after he made that decision, God gave him the burden. And then that God gave him the determination or the desire to carry it all the way through. Every year at Christmas, he would, he would meet 
and talk with all the delegates and all the people of the Salvation Army. And by 1912, uh, it was quite incredible. They were everywhere. By the 1930s, they're in 55 countries around the world as missionaries. It's an incredible. And over 3 million derelicts, over 3 million drunks, over 3 million drug addicts have made a profession of faith under his ministry because he had a burden, you see. And that burden uh, came because he made a decision. And then God took it and gave him the determination to see it through. He died Christmas night in 1912. And... Uh, just as every evening, Christmas Eve, he would address all of his people. By then, they had radio, and uh, they, uh, he was in his sick bed, and he couldn't, hardly, he couldn't hardly get out of bed. In fact, he died later on that night. But all over the country, they had tuned in. The Salvation Army groups all over the country, all over the world, had tuned in to hear William Booth's uh, Christmas message. And he was a great preacher, and he was a great evangelist. But on that night, he was so weak, and he was so sick. And as thousands and thousands of people gathered around the radios all around the world to listen to the man that started the organization that had been responsible for so many people coming to Christ. One word is all we had the energy to say. And it resonated over those airwaves and uh, carried them on. And the word that he simply said that night before he died, to his message at Christmas to all of his workers was simply the word that he lived by all of his life. It was simply others others. His whole life was dedicated to others. You see, there came a time in his life, as I said, that he made the decision, God gave him the burden, and then God gave him the determination to do it. And it's a thing where, as I said, by 1930s, uh, 55 countries, they're everywhere. He had in his hand the power to do good. You know, when you get saved, it's your hands in the Bible that you do the work of God with. So you find a lot of references to the hand. I think the greatest example of, of this is, is Moses in the Bible. Moses reminds me so much of so many of you. Moses is a guy who, who when he met God, God had a job for him to do. And Moses recognized the job. But you know what Moses' biggest problem was? He had a lack of confidence in himself. He, you know, uh, he meets God on Mount Sinai in that burning bush. And, you know, and God says, I want you to go back to Egypt. And this is, by the way, this is where our, our little phrase comes from. He was beating around the bush. That's what he was doing. That bush was telling him, God speaking through that burning bush, that he wanted him to go back to Pharaoh and back to Egypt and bring the people out. But he lacked the confidence. He was like so many of you when you first got saved. He had a confidence issue. He was afraid. He was afraid of Pharaoh. And why shouldn't he be? He lived in Egypt. He was raised in Egypt. He knew the power of Pharaoh. And uh, he's afraid. And I'll never forget in that story when he starts to alibi to God and he says to God what so many of God's people, you know, when they're fearful and they don't have confidence. He said to God, how am I ever going to talk to Pharaoh? How is Pharaoh ever going to listen to me? How am I ever going to get him to do what you want him to do? You know what God said to him? God said, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And Moses looked down in his hand and he had a shepherd's rod. And you know what God said? He said, Moses, I'll just use what you have in your hand. 
And if you study on through the Bible, it was that shepherd's rod that he turned the waters to blood with. It was that shepherd's rod that he brought the plagues down. It was the shepherd's rod that he brought the uh, fiery serpents and the fire, all the miracles that he did that turned the heart of Pharaoh and finally got God's people let him go was simply what he started, what he had in his hand. You know, when you first get saved, all God wants to take is what you have in your hand. All God wants from you is what you have right now in your hand. He's not going to ask you to step out by faith and to do some great, uh, great thing. He just wants you to start with what you have in your hand. How many times have I seen you just let God use you where you're at right now? I, I think a great example of that is, uh, he's not here, he's gone, I think, good and tough already, but I think the greatest example that we could all relate to is Gary Potter. Gary Potter is one of the most giving guys I've ever met in my life. And, you know, he, he goes down to restart four or five times a week. He goes up there, he goes everywhere. If you're stuck on the road someplace, and it's someplace other than Taiwan, call him and he'll come and get you. Amen. He's got a truck in his hand, see? And he's the greatest example of I see of somebody who unselfishly just, if you've got a jam, if you're in a fix, if you, whatever you need, you know what? He'll come and get you. And he, it's never too much for him. And he is where he is at and he's done and God has blessed him the way he has. You know why? And simply because he just let God use what he had in his hand and God took it from there. And I'm telling you, that's what God wants. That's where he wants you to start. He wants you just to simply start with what you have in your hand. If you'll give him that, he'll take care of the rest. Verse 27 says, withhold not good when it is in the power of your hand to give it. God's power in your hand, that's where it starts. But it only starts when you're willing to take what you have in your hand and let God use it for others. Now this is the proverb really sets the foundation for the New Testament principle of our ministry here in our church. Uh, really any ministry. And the one, and the teaching is quite clear. If you have an opportunity to help someone, do it. It's your Christian duty within the structure of the New Testament local church, of course. Now to me, nothing shows our understanding of our salvation and the grace that brought it down to man. Nothing shows me in our lives or the, the, this church, nothing shows me uh, that you don't understand this and understand what God did when he saved you greater than this because all of us fit in that category. There was a time when we had a need. Amen. There was a time when God saw our need and God had it in his hand to give us what we needed. And God took the opportunity to help me in my need. And I don't know how much more basic and simple uh, it can get than that. But yet, in spite of that, it never ceases to amaze me how so many of God's people will not live the example of, of Christ. The, Christ coming down and meeting our needs where we're at, who seem to be absolutely oblivious to the needs around them. Notice, he came down. And sometimes God's people have to come down off their throne, off the high horse that they're living on, up in a lifestyle that they had to get up in the ozone layer that they don't understand what's going on down earth. He came down to us, and we have to go down to people. It's just that simple. And many churches today get to the point and place where they, they, the churches look like what heaven must look like. And they get into an atmosphere that they don't even understand the reality that all around them people are dying, people are hurting, people are needing. Now normally right now, 
I'd go into the Bible and give you some great examples of men and women who, who do this. And the Bible's filled with them. But today, I, I, and I'm proud to say, I, 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 don't have to, I don't have to do that. I don't have to go to the Bible to get the examples because there's plenty of examples right here in our own church with our people who have caught this great concept of others. You know, there's a great, past, I call them pastoral principles. There's principles in the Bible that are good for working with people. There's principles in the Bible that are good for you and your walk with God. But there's great principles in the Bible for pastors, and I call them pastoral principles. And one of them is found in Proverbs 27, 23, where it says, Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. A good pastor will always know where his church is at, for the most part. And, and a couple of things that you look for. But one of the greatest indicators is how, how people uh, minister to each other, how they help each other, how they give to each other, saved and lost. You know, very little goes on around me uh, in this church that I, that I don't see. And much of it goes on behind the scenes. And what some of you do for each other uh, is, is incredible. I think that, uh, I, I, and I, I wouldn't put out name because I wouldn't want to embarrass anybody, nor would I want to take away the blessing from it. But I know of several families who have kids, and they saw other needy families that had needs, and they went to their kids, and they asked their kids this. They said, kids, would you all take one less Christmas present this year so we could give something to this family who don't have anything? And all the kids said yes. I think that's one of the greatest lessons that you can give to your kids. I think that in that formative years of where they're at right now, that's one of the single greatest things that you can do to show them that it is, we're thankful for what we have and we want to enjoy what we have, but just never get so caught up in what we have that we don't forget there's others out there that are less fortunate. That is a lesson that is invaluable to your kids. And I see it. I see behind the scenes what, what some of you do. I look at the Christmas party last week at, at Restart and how that the prayer groups went out and bought for the singles and how we, you know, you, we, we took care of all the, all the kids down there that, that wouldn't have had anything for Christmas. And yet I know it expands way out beyond that. And yet I, what I said early when I first started, for us, even though it was a great time for Christmas and, you know, John dresses up like Santa Claus and we all wrap them up and Jamie gets all the stuff organized and everybody works it out and the games you had and, and, you know, all the people that came down was a part of that. You know, that was at Christmas, but we, we do those same things all year round. I, I look at the food you bring in. I saw a gal one time a couple months ago who, who has a couple of little kids and she struggles, you know, she struggles just to keep her head above water. And, uh, and she struggles with things and struggles with the things in her life of, of, of just taking care of the paying the bills. She doesn't have a real good job and she, you know, she's got some kids to take care of. And, and yet, well, I watched her one day when we were in a jam for, for food down there, she brought in a whole stack of hamburgers and a whole stack of hot dogs. And I don't think for a moment she shoplifted them. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And then, then you got other people, uh, you, you know, who, who are oblivious to that. They, 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 they don't see that need. But I'm telling you, those kind of things, I never miss them. The faithfulness every week of, of uh, every other week of feeding four or five hundred people that wouldn't have anything to eat. You know, giving up your Sundays, giving up your time to give to others 
in the cold and the rain and the heat and never complain. You know, I, I look at turnaround, the mentee program we have. In fact, I've got a, I got a letter today. It was in a Christmas card from right down there in Richard. And, and you know, I, I want to I read you something out of it here because I think it's, it's incredible. But I, 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 honestly, you know, I, I think that the, the turnaround program is, is, is developing into one of the best things that God ever gave us. It really is. And yet so much goes on down there that, that nobody ever sees. Every other week there's a team down there sorting the clothes and going through and that so they don't have to come in and doing it on Monday. The food you bring in, those girls go down and guys go down and restock that and, and keep the clothes, separate all the clothes, put all the stuff up, get them all sized up so when they come in on Monday morning they can get right to the job. There's no TV cameras down there. No Channel 9 has put that on the news tonight and look on what you're doing at Christmas. But God's recording it all, see. And I, and I know that probably, you know, the, the mentoring program is, is unique into itself. And it's a situation where most of these people have had problems in their lives, and most of these people, you know, uh, they, they weed them out, and they want to get people who really want a fresh start in life. And they simply want somebody of a quality of life uh, to be a mentor to them. And yet we have seen it that in every one that you've got, and I know you got to go through four or five to get one that's good. I, I don't know what to tell you. We got to do the same thing in church, but it's just the way it is today. You'll go through four or five people to find one. But how many guys have we seen that have gotten saved out of that program that you have enough influence to bring them to church and they come to church and they want to be part of church? We see them here all the time. And I have the utmost respect for those guys and want to help them any way I can. And you know, but when we started out, it looked like, and I agree with you, but I've been around a while, so I see how this thing develops. When we first started it, it was like chaos. It was like there was a lot of different things going on, a lot of different things happening, and it was like chaos. But what has happened over the, over the months is exactly what I knew was happening. They have absolutely a lot of individuals, but they don't have any group down there that really takes an interest in them. And now we're seeing that a little over a year we've been down through there. And the way, and the way that we got it was incredible. The guy who's part of the head of the program went into Steve's gun shop and they're talking back and forth and, and, and Steve tells him where he goes to church and talks about this. He tells him what he does and the next thing I know, me and Steve take him out to dinner or out to lunch and meet with him and bang, there we are. And when you first went down there, you know, you, the guys were, it was kind of disorganized and, it, and it's still somewhat disorganized. But they, they, they don't have the structure that we have. But I'll tell you what, how God has developed it. And I knew it would happen. They have no teaching program. They have no, they have no format for these guys to give them anything. It's just like they're so bent at running at both ends to try to get everything done. And now, basically, fundamentally, our guys that are sitting here are going down and teaching the mentoring program. They've given it pretty much to us that we go down there on a monthly basis. <clears throat> John spoke last time. I know Bob spoke. I've spoke. And they're now asking us to go down and put a cr cr criteria together of successful living for these guys. And God just keeps giving it to us. God just keeps giving it to us. And it isn't because we deserve it. It's because you went down when nobody else would. You went down and did what nobody else wanted to do. You didn't turn your nose up at it and say, well, it's chaotic. I can't handle this. You realize that we live in a chaotic world and you were willing to do it. And this is the letter I got. Incredible letter. 
Boy, he says something in here that we all ought to remember. Dear friends, as we come to the Christmas season, our hearts are full of gratitude to all of you who have given so much of your time and energy to our clients and your mentees this year. The encouragement and support you bring into mentoring relationship shows how much you care. And here comes the quote. And of course, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Boy, that is so true. And that's what you've done. You've went down there first, bought the field, show them how much you care. And now God takes that. You see, you made an investment and then God gives you a return. It's just that simple. You know, I think about the, going back to Restart, the work crews that go down there. I mean, the work crews the, at Restart. I mean, you go down and you paint. And you, you scrape and you paint and you clean. And, you, and the ladies that cook. You haul out the trash. You put your hands in stuff that you never dreamed you'd want to put your hands in. Some of the most godliest stuff. I walked in there the other day when you guys were scraping. I forget who showed me. It was this big, dark line, uh, big, dark line all around this wall underneath this shelf. And somebody brought me in there and said, you know what that is? And I said, no. He says, that's cockroach doo-doo. It had, was so encrusted in there for all the years. And, 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 and most people would do what you did. I did what you did. And I said, I don't think it's cockroach. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> it is. Yep. And he, he, he's scraping it, you know. Nobody ever complains. Nobody says, I'm not sticking my hand in cockroach doo-doo. Nobody says, I won't do that. You simply learn to do things. And boy, I can't tell you how invaluable this is in doing for God. You simply learn to do things which nobody else wants to do. And I cannot tell you how God will bless that. I cannot tell you what God will do with that. Withhold not good from people when it is your hand to give it. Nothing will make you like, uh, nothing will make you Christ-like more than being like Christ in your service to others. And in the ministry, you have to, you know, you have the takers. I said it a couple of weeks ago. In the ministry, you're always going to have the people who take, but you're always going to have the people that give. You're always going to have people who take everything and give nothing back, and you're always going to have people who, who take nothing and give everything back. And I guarantee you, I know how life looks at it. The takers in life may always eat better, but the givers in life will always sleep better because it's simply doing what God wants you to do. And it's incredible. And I, I, I look at right around here. Now, Paul takes this, this very principle. And in Proverbs chapter 3, and, he, and then he develops it into a New Testament principle uh, for Christians uh, found in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. You need to make the parallel here. He says in Galatians 6, 9 and 10, And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now he says, let us not be weary in well-doing. And I'm the first one to tell you, you can get weary in well-doing. One of the great principles that I'm going to put in my book of the things that I've learned in the last 63 years of my life is no good deed will go unpunished. You'll do something good all your life and try to help people and do this, and those people come back around and clobber you and bite you. You know what? You can get weary in well-doing. 
But he says, in due season, we reap if we faint not. We help save people, our own. We help unsaved people. We reach out to them. The key word here is opportunity. The key word is opportunity. And, all, uh, and they're all around us. Now, along with this, here's another great principle. In fact, there's two, in fact. Most of the time, we think of these principles I'm about to give you as in a bad context. One of them in Hosea, Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, where it says, For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the bud shall yield no meal. Uh, if so it be it yield, the stranger shall swallow it up. Another one I always give you is Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, which says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. Now, Hosea 8, 7 and Galatians 6 give us two great principles. Galatians 6, 7 says, we're going to reap what we sow. Hosea 8 says, we reap more than we sow. And boy, that's true in life. Not only do you reap what you sow, but you always reap more than you sow. But the key here. And we always use that in a bad connotation, and it is. But in the Bible, there's two kinds of sowing. And these two verses, we use them to show that you reap what you sow uh, in a bad context, and you reap more than you sow in a bad context. But I want you to know there's a good side to sowing if you sow the right things. And the right things are the Word of God. And in that, you'll always reap back in the Word of God with what you sow when you sow the good things more than you sow. You see, it works both ways. You do wrong in life, you, 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 you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. You'll get more back. But if you sow the Word of God, you'll also get more back. Psalms 107 verse 37 says, And sow the field and plant vineyards, which may yield fruits of increase. You see, there's a good return. That fruits of increase. Psalms 126, 5 and 6 says, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah 55, 11. I've used it for years and years and years, and I never, never forget it. Because sometimes when you get weary in well-doing, sometimes when it looks like your good deeds are being punished, it'll always hold the line and always keep you in perspective. And it simply says that God's word will never return void. That is the greatest principle, I think, that I try to keep in my mind because when you don't, situations can fool you. Circumstances can fool you. And if you don't careful, you let those things get inside you and it'll mess you up. And when I talk about letting biblical principles override things or situations in life, this is a great one. Because I realize no matter what happens in the immediate, no what somebody's response is to it, or what somebody likes or doesn't like, I know this. I know the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that when you and I put out the Word of God, it doesn't matter what the person thinks about it. It doesn't matter if the person gets mad. It doesn't matter if the person gets angry, even leaves the church. What only matters is if the Word of God went out and He promised that that Word would, always, would never return void. That it will always accomplish the purpose that God sent it to. I take great peace in that. There's been times in situations when you've given somebody uh, in a marriage, bad marriage situation, you know, uh, and you sit down and you show them the truth and they didn't want to hear it and they go out and, and yet five years later, they'll come back. Five years later, maybe they're divorced now and the husband will back or the wife will come back and they'll say, you know what, uh, you were right. And that's a great principle that once you put the word of God out, once you show it, 
It will always return, it will never return void. And it will always accomplish the purpose. And there will always be a, a benefit in it. It's just that simple. You take a kernel of corn, just one little kernel of corn, and you plant it in the ground. And you have the right, right amount of rain, the right amount of sun, the right amount of air. And a little stalk comes up. A little stalk of corn grows up and by, you know, knee high by the 4th of July and all that stuff, you know, and then by August that's up there. Now you've got a stalk of corn that bears two ears of corn with each one having 300 kernels. Now, from the one little kernel you planted, you have 600. People like trees in the Bible. You follow the path of Johnny Appleseed. There's places in Ohio and places in Illinois and places down through there where he was uh, in, in history where all you got is apple trees. He carried apple seeds in his pocket. He had a little bag of them. And one little apple seed down there planted uh, in time brought up a tree. And for the next 40 or 50 years, uh, it gave 200, 300,000 apples and had the potential of 4 million other trees. All because one little seed was planted. And when you realize what you have in your hand and you realize what you have the power in your hand to do, withhold not good when it is in your hand to give it. And when you do that with the Word of God, you always get back more than you sow. Maybe not in this life, but in the one to come. You know, there's two great examples in history on this one. One's a good one, one's a bad one. Now raise your hand on this. This is a test, Christmas test. Anybody know who Edward Kimball was? Raise your hand. No, he wasn't the fugitive. That was Richard Kimball. <laughs> Anybody know who Edward Kimball was? John, you, you, you'll know when I tell you. you you're second smartest man on the earth. I'm the first one. But. <laughs> Anybody know who Richard Kimball is? Uh, Richard Kimball. Edward Kimball is. Oh, yeah. Anybody know who Richard Kimball is? Well, let you, everybody knows that. Anybody knows who Edward Kimball is? Nobody? You don't know? Anybody know who D.L. Moody was? Okay. Edward Kimball. Nobody knows who he is. But you know who he was? He was the man that won D.L. Moody to Christ. Now, D.L. Moody became one of the greatest preachers in the, in the, in the 19th, 20th century. He, he developed, he was in Chicago. He developed a Moody Church, Moody Bible Institute. He's probably responsible for... <laughs> millions of people coming to Christ. When he was 17 years old and he was struggling with what he was going to do in life, he went to work in his father, in his father, in his uncle's shoe store. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher. Edward Kimball saw in Moody the struggles that he had. And he went there in that shoe store in the back room on one afternoon he opened up a Bible, and he won D.L. Moody to Christ. You see, he had it in his hand to do good. He saw in that young man what I see in so many of you. He saw in that young man what so many of you see in your mentees, or the people down at Turnaround, or the people, your neighbors, or the friends, and God put them in your life. Justin and Jeanette saw it in you guys, and that's why you're here today. And it's a thing where it, it's, a, it's the ongoing story in our church because that's what happens. Edward Kimball saw in D.L. Moody what nobody else saw. And he saw the opportunity and took the opportunity 
and he won that man to Christ, and with the one seed that he planted, my glory, what a return D.L. Moody brought. Incredible. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now I have another story. This one's not so good, but it's true. Got it off the internet. <laughs> you know everything on the internet's true. Didn't get this off the internet. It's been around for a long time. A little 12-year-old boy named John. Born around 1910. Very poor parents. Parents both were drunks. He had nothing. Parents had nothing. Lived in a little tar shack. One day he decided to go to church. And he went to church. was down the street from his house. Big old Southern Baptist church. And when he went in there, they, they ushered him into a Sunday school class. All the other kids were dressed real nice. Little Johnny had nothing. Basically rags. Dirty, smelly. So he sat in the Sunday school class and he listened after the Sunday school class, the Sunday school teacher, who was a deacon in that church, pulled little Johnny aside and told him it would be probably be better for little Johnny not to come back to church until he got some decent clothes to wear. Little Johnny was crushed. Little Johnny never went back to church. Little Johnny got so fed up because of what that man said and so hurt and so, just, and so broken over the thing that later on in life it forged a real disdain for anything that has to do with Christians. Well, little Johnny grew up to be the infamous John Dillinger. You see, both men had it in their hand, didn't they? Kimball had it in his hand when he saw the opportunity with D.L. Moody, he won him to Christ. This deacon, this Sunday school teacher, had it in his hand when he saw this little dirty Johnny to make a difference in his life. And instead of reaching out to him and making a difference, he sent him onto a life of crime and probably obviously into a life without Christ, an eternity without Christ. What an opportunity on both sides. One man saw it, took it, grabbed it. The other man missed it set him on a life spree of crime, but hold not good from people when it's in the power of your hand to do it. One little kindness at the right spot, showing one little kindness. You know, I've, I've come to the degree that I think the success, real success in people in ministry is the legitimately people just want to feel special. They want to feel like they're needed. And most pastors, they're so busy doing whatever they do, they never have time to just stop and say some kind word to somebody and encourage them or you're glad to be here today. Hug them, put your arm around them and just, and just love on them and just let them know how important it is for them to be here. That's all people want. People are tired of going to churches where you, know, you just become a number or a giving number or a giving record. They want something back. They want, they want to know that they're important. And if you can master that and you can come to the point where you spend your life just taking just one little act of kindness can change a life that in time can change the world. But for the most part, you know, people just want to feel special. Now, I realize there's people out there that want nothing to do with God and you can be kind to them all day and I've done it, you've done it. And we went up, put our arm around them and said, we love them. We want you this to that, that. And boy, you might as well have been talking to a statue. I understand it. You're not going to get everybody. But my point is, don't miss the opportunities of the ones you can get.
and they're all around us. You're going to go through life as an Edward Kimball. You're going to go through a life as this Southern Baptist Sunday school deacon. And there's opportunities all around us in every day just like that. You know, I, I've said it many, many times, and I watch it. Some of you never miss an opportunity. I watch you. You never miss an opportunity. And yet some of you, <coughs> you just never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity because they're all around us. And you know, uh, you never, uh, you never, you never, you never, uh, you never want to look <coughs> at one of our kids in our elementary, uh, just as little kids. You never want to get and fall into that trap. Every one of them is important. The thing that I love that you parents are doing so well is a lot of your kids are bringing their little friends to church. In the last month, I've heard stories where kids had choices to, to go do this or do this and, and this Father Choice would give them the ability to come to church on Thursday night or Sunday, and they'll pick this because they want to come to church. Your kids are making a difference. They're, your kids are making a difference because you're making a difference in your kids. And that's the key. That's the key. I brought you up to, to sing with me this morning, and you know what? And I mean every word I say. Me and you are going to tear the world up one of these days. You're my buddy. I, do, I give you anything, do anything for you, help you any way you want. You know why? Because I see in you. From the very day you came, I've seen in you what God wants. And I'll tell you, you're worth any investment. All of our kids are. I watch all of your kids. Uh, you know, your kids are crazy. You run around the place. Your kid's going to be president someday, and he'll be the right kind of president. <laughs> They're boys. What do you expect? Amen. But at the end of the day, you've got to look beyond that. You've got to make the only eye gouging and nose pulling and all that stuff. You see a little tenderness in her heart. That's where it's at. That's where it's at. And you never want to look at those kids when they're running around out there or you get a chance to hug them and they come up and put your arm around them. I want your kids, I don't want them to see me as some pastor over here that they don't know. I go to all their activities. I go to everything. I want them to know that they have a pastor who knows who they are, who loves them. You know why? Because I'm paying my money down now that five, six, seven, eight years from now, when the devil comes knocking on their door and they have some problems, I'll have already have my relationship built with them. Of course, that won't be your problem. You'll be going with me knocking on the doors, you see. <laughs> telling you. It's where it's at, folks. It's looking around you. It's not just having the tunnel vision of, of seeing where you're at in life. It's the ability to look beyond that. It's the ability to see the opportunities around you. It's the ability that, as Kimball had when he, when he saw that 17-year-old. And I guarantee you, when Moody was 17 years old, he wasn't a great Bible teacher and a Bible preacher that he was when he was down in later on years in life. He was just like any other 16, 17-year-old kid you ever saw in life. He had issues. He had his problems. And old Kimball saw him. Because he had a burden, because he made a choice, because he had a desire, and because he had a burden. He reached out to that kid and took the opportunity, planted one little seed that blossomed into tens of thousands, if not millions of people coming to Christ. Oh, what a, what a, you know, what a, what a difference John Dillinger's life could have made if he wouldn't have wound up dead in the streets of Chicago outside the bayou, shot down by the FBI, if that seed would have been planted that that guy would have taken him in, changed his life, and set him on a course to do good to others. You have the power in your hands. It's in your hands. And that's why that verse is such a powerful verse. Don't, don't miss the opportunities. When you have it in your hand to do good, 
The opportunities are around us all the time. You know, as I said, never look at one of our kids uh, or their little friends that they bring uh, or, 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 or the visitors that come to this church. You know, people come to this church, and I know some of them are passing through, and some of them, you know, here on vacation or come to see their friends at holidays and all that. But there's people that, it, that you bring from your work who are maybe struggling in their life, and they see something in your world that they don't have. And I'll be honest with you, most people are sick and tired, and that's why most people don't. I was driving down the street the other day. I ran my house and there's a billboard from one of the major Baptist churches in, in town here and it gave you your Christmas checklist to do for the new year. The first one was, what it was the first one? The first one was, Get Get thank you, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is power. This is power. <laughs> oh, you started to it. First one was, get, what was the second one? I don't think get in shape was the, I think that was the second one. Oh, get out of debt. Yeah. One of them, they went this way. Get out of debt, get in shape, and the last one was come to church. No, that's, that's the where it's at today. No, I, I don't, I'm not big on billboards, but if I, number one for me would be get back to church. But that's the way we approach the world today, you see. Get out of debt so you can get into more debt. Get in shape. So you can eat some more bad food and get out of shape again. And your whole life will be that. There's only one thing that will solve all of those problems, and he put it third on the list. And it's not just going to church in a sense. It's getting into the Bible. But you know what? When you have it good in your hand and God gave it to you, do good with it. Now, see, that's a great Christmas message, isn't it? But it's, it's, it's not. People like to make it. And this is why I said early on I'm going to work hard at not making this a Christmas message. Because it's, it's not a Christmas message. It's a, it's a Christmas, it's a thing that, that, you know, that we need to do every day of our life. It's a thing that we need to do all that we do. Withhold not good when it, in the power of your hand to give it. Your hands, you have, if you're saved, you have the power of God to do things. Make things happen. You turn your pages, you point to verses, you work, you clean, you do all the stuff that you do. And God will put opportunity in your life. The greatest, the greatest, uh, that key word, opportunity. The greatest, the greatest, the greatest picture in the Bible. Because the word opportunity uh, is, is, is an open door in the Bible. It's an opportunity to do something. And the greatest church in the Bible uh, that had most opportunity was the church of the open door. They, and that's when William Booth, right in the middle of that. They saw the need of this world. They reached out to this world. And they planted the seeds. And you'll sow for the world or you'll sow for God. And when you sow for the world, you'll reap more than you sow. And when you sow for God, you'll reap more than you sow. It's just that simple. But you as God's people have it in your hand. And God, God right now, you may not see him, you may not know it, but God right now has put people all around your world that are opportunities for you. You just got to see what you have in your hand. It's just that simple. So, that's a Christmas message. Not a Christmas message. But it shows you one of the greatest principles that you've ever learned. One of the things that really changed my whole concept of the ministry is simply looking at people as they are. And I've told you before, there's only two things worth investing your life in in all the world. Because they're the only two things that are going to last for eternity. One of them is the Word of God. The other one is the souls of men. 
but you have to see the opportunities. God will put the opportunities around you, but if you don't get in the book that reveals those opportunities, you'll never see them. Well, we'll hold up there today, and I just wanted to give you that this morning, and I think that 